Blog Talk Radio. I'm Robert Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery, the place to be and the show to hear if you're interested in finding options that can help you reverse the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. This year's 2012 Parkinson's Recovery Summit is underway in Cincinnati, Ohio on June the 22nd and June the 23rd. I've had a number of calls from individuals who have said, aren't you going to do a summit in New York City or Miami, Florida or fill in the blank? That's really pretty far for me to come to get information about options that I can consider for reversing my symptoms. My answer is we only do it once a year, and this year it's going to be in Cincinnati, Ohio. And just by way of information, people are coming to this summit who have registered from Europe from the country of Norway, from Canada, involving the provinces of Alberta, British Columbia, and Ontario, and from the United States, from New Jersey, Alabama, California, Tennessee, Ohio, Florida, Colorado, Mississippi, Oregon, New York, Arizona, Kentucky, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, North Carolina, Texas, Virginia, New Mexico, South Carolina, Washington, and people are coming from Mexico. So it's not too far to come, especially if you're looking for ideas of what you can do to get sustained relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. Information about the 18 workshops that are being offered by prior guests on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show can be seen at the following website, www.summit.parkinsonsrecovery.com. I just put out an email newsletter to the individuals on my rather large list announcing the show today, which basically is about art for Parkinson's. I'm interviewing today Nancy Tingey, who really is a pioneer in developing art as a therapy that has profound consequences for anyone currently experiencing the neurological symptoms of Parkinson's disease. And in short order, in just 20 minutes ago, I received two emails that I want to read before I begin my interview with Nancy. The first, the first email says the following, quote, and this is from Rigby, I was delighted to read your article regarding art as a part of a therapy for Parkinson's. I fell ill with a liver illness three years ago, and then subsequently Parkinson's was attributed to my behavior and have followed your writings for a few months now, thanks to a recommendation from a friend. I wish to totally endorse the advantages of becoming involved with art in whatever way the individual finds comfortable with. I have always loved sketching in a very amateur way, but now I no longer work, find that using my mind and hands on delicate work, I can control my shaking and can concentrate for longer. Television and books I find difficult, but I now can work from home creating art to give me some income, but more importantly for me, a sense of purpose. So please, I hope that others will look at what I am achieving and endeavor, as you suggest, to use this form of expression in their therapy. 
a second email from Norm. I just noticed your show concerning PD and art. Just to let you know that my wife, who is in the early stages of PD, is very much involved in art, and she considers it to be a kind of meditation that has helped her immensely. This is in addition to her Tai Chi and four to five times of swimming. My wife tells me that when she is engrossed in her artwork, she forgets about everything and just lets things flow. You can check out her artwork at, and write down this website, because I've looked at it and her work is absolutely amazing. The website is azergo.com. That's spelled A-Z-E-R-G-O dot com. As well as another website where you can see her work, which is www.sketch, S-K-E-T-C-H, and travel.com. And now to my interview with, again, the pioneer who has really developed a program that has had amazing results for individuals currently experiencing the neurological symptoms associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery, and my guest today is Nancy Tingey from Australia. Nancy, tell us all about yourself. Well, hi, Robert. It's great to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me. Um, yeah, um, I came to Australia in 1971 with my husband, who was a geologist working, um, he just started working in Antarctica. Um, and that was his passion. But when uh, we got to, what, 80, 1986, 87, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, and he was only 46. Um, and after he'd been, um, work, you know, t- struggling with his work and, and Parkinson's and so on for a few years, he became president of the local support group. And I was supposed to, um, you know, help him in some way. I couldn't think what was the best way of doing it. But my background is an artist, practicing artist, art curator, um, and educator, working in art schools, and so on. And um, I'd also worked a lot with adults who had come to painting late in life, and I loved that sort of work, because that was really rewarding. Um, People were so excited about discovering something that they didn't think they could do. Um, And I thought, well, you know, there's no reason why people with Parkinson's can't paint. I know people talk about tremor, but, but, you know, the the whole thing about doing something that they don't think they can do, or if we set it up correctly, I'm sure that we can do this. Um, So I I offered to start an art group, Um, and I started with two people, and that led to, um, well, I got the grant, of course, and they said I had to have 12 people. So <laughs> anyway, I started with two, and then shortly after that, I managed to get um, 12 people all together. That was after exhibiting the, the bit of work that my small group had done in the first place, and real, people realizing that it wasn't difficult, as it was about expressing themselves in color, in, in, um, in getting their ideas on paper, but it was more than that. Um, perhaps, you know, I, 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 my background wasn't in art therapy, and I began to realize that I needed some kind of training in art therapy. Um, and so I applied for a Churchill Fellowship, and that took me all over the world, um, including America, looking at art as a therapy for Parkinson's. And I began to realize that there was something very specific going on here, that you were actually using painting or things related to that or any kind of creative process 
was actually using the brain in a different way from the stressful ways that we have to use our brain during the day, like thinking about what we're going to have to dinner or whether I can get on that bus or how to get across to the other side of the room. Um, and and in, in fact, the creative path didn't seem to have been interfered with by um, the Parkinson's problems. And the other thing was that if I looked at what was happening with Parkinson's, which was how to resolve things by taking things one step at a time and just be working in a very sort of linear way, you could actually circumvent a lot of the problems. So if we did that with painting, so if we put a mark on the paper, that would lead to another mark. It was a bit like putting your foot down to make your first step. If you can do that and then put the next foot down and gradually, perhaps with a prompt, like going over a marker on the floor, get yourself to the other side of the room. If we applied that principle to painting, there was no reason why people with Parkinson's couldn't paint as well as anybody else. Um, now, I realize that's not actually giving you a lot of background about myself. I'm what? I'm nearly 70. Um, and I've been working with this group 17 years um, but before I came to Australia in 71, I'd spent what would be now nearly half my life in England. And um, so I guess that a lot of the work I do is informed by my experiences in living in two countries. And as a practicing artist, I took a master's degree in exactly that, which was about working through the issues in my artwork to, to do with living in two countries. And I completed that process of work, which took about 20 years earlier this year, and it made me realize how very important it is to work through issues, not just block them up, not just put them on one side, but if there is something that's really bothering you, then you have to keep pursuing it. And I guess, um, in a way, that's what we're doing with this Parkinson's thing, isn't it? We're trying to improve quality of life, and we're not going to stop. We're going to keep on at it and not give in to the people who say that all the money should be spent on medication and research that we should be also looking at how people get through the day until we get that cure. And I guess I'm part of that program. Does your husband participate in your art therapy program? He, he certainly does. And he's, obviously, as explained earlier, he's a scientist. And the amazing thing was that um, after the original class that I ran, which just had the two people in it, he said he would come and join the group. And I think it was really to support me for numbers but he took to it like a duck to water, and he's been um, to participating in groups here and in England, because we went back there for a few years, um, where I started group with the Parkinson's disease of the United Kingdom. Um, he's been working with the group for 17 years. Um, and although he's now very late stage Parkinson's, 25 years plus, he can still paint. Um, and it's the most extraordinary thing to see him in his wheelchair, perhaps falling asleep for a while, waking up for a while, but then having a half hour which he, where he's very creative. And people very, you know, people get excited by what he does. We still exhibit his work. Um, yeah, he thinks of it as a can-do thing for people who've had most of their can-do things taken away. And this replaces the passions that, um, that they can no longer follow. When he became involved with your program at the very beginning, 17 or so years ago, yes. had he done artwork before? I'd never seen him picked up a, a paintbrush of any kind. Of course, I was the one, you see, who had the studio and who was exhibiting and who was the artist, and he was the scientist. Um, and I used to do a lot of work with the kids too, but, you know, that was not his thing. 
um, and he, he, you know, he he wrote papers and he he lectured, um, and he was a member of the Commonwealth Government in Australia. He was their representative in Canberra for sending Antarctic teams down, and he he. he um, edited the Geology of Antarctica for the Oxford University Press. So he was an academic, really, and a scientist and a geologist out in the field. And it had never occurred to him to paint. That wasn't his thing. If anything, I would think he would probably thought that was a fairly sissy thing to do because he came from a very male-dominated <laughs> And still is a bit worried about poetry. <laughs> uh, but he'd always been passionately interested in music and loved classical music. And, his, and because his hearing is still perfect... You know, he gets huge pleasure out of that. I was just thinking about that this morning, that that's something that I really ought to um, build on more for him, get him more CDs, because he plays and plays and plays his CDs and his music. His eyesight is faulty now through the Parkinson's, and we've had him checked out by a specialist, who, an ophthalmologist who looks at Parkinson's disease. Um, and he said, well, really, there's nothing... More than beginning, it's nothing to do with the glasses that he's got. It, it is to do with the problems that have come to do with the Parkinson's symptoms. Um, so it's you know, so what he's seeing on that page, I've no idea, but it doesn't really matter because he just loves using the colour, and um, his his work is is abstract, but he knows what he wants to do when he's setting out to paint, and he continues with that program till he's finished. I've found on the whole that people with Parkinson's. They're pretty obsessive and they're pretty determined. And once they've made that first mark, they will continue working on that piece until they get what they want, which is a pretty amazing process to see. They're not easily diverted. And we try to make sure that they're not diverted and we try to make sure that they're not interrupted. And we are there in the art class to make sure that, you know, when the water needs changing, we know that. When they have difficulty with a some tool that they're using, then we, we've got come up with other options. We make sure that the paints are clean and clear and in an easily accessible space and they don't get knocked over and so on. But we found really, on the whole, as long as people were given the right environment and the right help to do what they wanted, they could work in as well as anybody else. When you see a Parkinson's painting group um, in, a, in our centre, which is is part of the Botanic Gardens actually in Canberra, it's a disability area. Um, when that is centred down, which is about halfway through the session, it's amazing. The concentration is very intense um, and you wouldn't think that any of them had Parkinson's to look at them, even though a couple of them are in wheelchairs and other of them, others of them have um, walker frames and so on. We'll be right back with Nancy Tingey after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. After six years of doing extensive research on the factors that contribute to the symptoms of Parkinson's, I came to the very firm conclusion that stress has a profound impact. In a statistical sense, the correlation is literally as high as 0.95. For those of you who are statisticians, that's a staggering correlation. We know then that when stress is up, symptoms will flare. There's no doubt about it. I began then, after concluding that that, in fact, was the correlation, to begin to ask the question, okay, fine, great, what do you do about stress? So I began to ask my own self, well, how do I address the issues of stress in my life? The first conclusion I reached when I began to do some self-exploration was that I can't simply turn stress off. I can't use my mind to literally say, stop the stress. It doesn't work. 
what I've discovered is that through a lot of other research and other realms that mindfulness turns out to be the key. So what I've been doing for now a number of weeks is developing challenges that I get to myself initially to see if I can't become more mindful moment to moment. It seems to me the issue with stress really is a moment to moment issue. So I've developed these challenges and explanations of the underlying meaning of these challenges and I then offered a whole program uh, called the Parkinson's Recovery Mindfulness Program. You can get more information about that from www.stress.parkinsonsrecovery.com. And now back to Nancy Tingey. Nancy, it sounds like from your prior answer that your husband didn't have any experience with doing artwork. Is it the case that this activity is something that anyone can do regardless of whether or not they have any art talent at all? Absolutely. And I would say that it's often more difficult for someone who's already done a lot of painting um, to then have to rethink how they work. If they've got a lot of skills, which might be very precise, and then they develop a shake or a tremor, um, they become very disillusioned with their artwork. Whereas we start on the basis, okay, use the tremor. Let it work for you. Let it produce that interesting irregular line. You will find that as you paint, that tremor will die down anyway. But the main thing is to start painting, is to start getting that thing going, getting your brain away from stressful activities and, and centered down, and you will be able to do it. Um, even, if it even if people have very limited movement, we can move that piece of paper around for them, you know, so that they can make those marks. But the main thing is to get them going. I've had extraordinary instances of people who can hardly move, and I've you know, manage to get some kind of art tool, it might be a felt pen or whatever, into their hand and they make that mark and their eyes fly open. You know, because really what we're saying is that once you lose your, your ability to sign your name, you lose your identity. And we're bringing that back. We're encouraging them to make their mark, metaphorically make their mark in society. We exhibit work. And that is a way of them getting their work out to other people. They get a response from society, so they feel as if they're creative members of that society again. We have had a number of artists who've already um, established you know, themselves as, as, as practicing artists. But, but the thing is that once they get their Parkinson's, it, they have to be able to, to rethink what they're doing. Their work becomes more expressive, usually. Um, it's very interesting for us to see what happens when you've got a group of carers together, or caregivers, as you would say, um, with, a, with people with Parkinson's, because we have both in our group. That's why the title is Painting with Parkinson's. You're living with Parkinson's. You've got the person with Parkinson's, but you've got the person living with them, and we have both in the group. Um, often the person who is the carer has more skills, but they can cover up their emotions are not on the surface, whereas Parkinson's, their work is very moving. And I, I'm often asked, you know, how do you select work for an exhibition? Because I don't, pick, I don't pick necessarily the ones that look very well put together. I pick the ones that will move me in some way, because that is what will move your audience. And that is, you know, what people find so exciting about people being able to express themselves this way, especially people who are not... 
um, able anymore to really speak very well or relate in other ways, they can relate through their artwork. They can talk through their artwork when they may not be able to talk with eye contact. Yeah, I find it quite remarkable. You've got everybody's attention, and I'm sure that there are some individuals and the people who live with them are thinking, okay, this sounds kind of interesting. We've never done any artwork, but maybe we might want to give this a try. If they were to sign up for one of your sessions and they were about to walk through the door, what would be their experience? What would actually happen? Okay, this is lovely because I love to talk about what happens in our group. We start about quarter to ten on a Friday morning and people start coming and saying hello and having wind-down session. That's the day when they talk about their medication or what's been happening during the week or just getting to know one another. And we serve them tea and cake. We've got a fantastic team of volunteers um, who really look after them in that first half hour. And then hopefully they'll have finished their tea, or well, that doesn't always happen, but um, if, if they finish the tea and coffee and, and had their cake, we can clear all that away because too many things going on with Parkinson's, not a good idea. We like then for the room to fall quiet and we do a meditation session with them. And it might be reading a poem, it might be listening to music, but it usually involves them thinking about their breathing, thinking about their, how their body is, whether their feet are apart and on, and on the ground, um, not, not with their legs crossed, um, thinking about taking their breath deep into the body, down towards the stomach, um, and then perhaps doing some arm movements, getting them loosened up, and getting them into this different sort of space that they were in from the one in which they were in when they first came into the room. And it's, it's that centering down which is used by many artists to try and get them into that space, into the creative way of thinking. And then we will probably attach that activity to some simple way in which they can attach um, their tools to the paper. It might be that they've got some oil pastels ready by the paper in front of them and we say continue that waving movement onto the page. So you're going to do irregular lines across the page and backwards and forwards. Or it might be a growth movement if we've been doing something where we've been stretching, taking those stretching movements onto the paper. So that I try to keep it continuous at this stage so that they don't have to stop and have a break and think, what do I do now? We try and take that idea of movement into movement on the paper. Um, then when they've been doing that activity for a while, in their own time, some may move on to something else. Some may decide that what they've, those marks that they've made on the paper gives them an idea for something that they want to do, continuing on that piece of paper. For that reason, we always give them really good materials. You just never know when they're suddenly going to decide to stay with something. If you put a piece of paper in front of them which has got coffee stains on it or which is poor quality paper, amazing how often they'll they'll suddenly decide that oh this is what I you know I've got a good idea here I'll stay with it so we always give them top quality stuff and we're very fortunate to have been given you know quite a bit of money towards just the materials because we do realize how important that is and we use colors which are very clear which therefore should really in theory give them a very uplifting feeling when they're using them you know, obviously, there are going to be people who feel like using black and brown and so on, and we will always cater to that because they may be feeling in a very dark space and they need to work through that. But on the whole, we find that people will start off working in a, in a black space, in a depressive space, but after a week or two, the colors will lighten 
and the whole palette will change and, and we like to be ready with that when that happens. Oh yes, and I forgot to say that at the end of all that, so they've been working perhaps on this program for about an hour and a half, um, we then have the tidying and clearing up session and we talk about everybody's work. We've got one facilitator who's in charge of the, pay, of the group and she is paid or he is paid um, and that is somebody who's trained in art therapy, who knows a bit about um, Parkinson's, who knows a little bit about the way that we practice it and is very adept at the use of materials. So we've all got art backgrounds in one way and another. And then there will be the other facilitators who are the volunteers that day. So there may be two or three of us helping as well because we've got a big group at the moment. We've got 17 on the books. So we may have, you know, 12 at any one session. And that's a lot of people to think about at any one time. And then we have two or three volunteers who are the people in the background helping us with the, as I say, the teas and coffees and clearing away and packing away. And we have, everybody has a folder. So we put all their work into the folders when we have discussed it with them. And we go through with each person and they contribute with discussion about the work if they want to or we say what we know we think perhaps is happening in that work and everybody else pitches in with their ideas too. So it becomes very much their group about their work um, and it's a totally sort of non-critical sort of space, but they feel valued through that. And we, we feel the magic too, because some of the work is just stunning. Each week there's always wonderful work. Does it cost anything to participate in this activity? Well, it costs us a lot because we have to apply for grants and things like that. But we've always tried to keep the actual running costs down because we know that the, occasionally we get somebody who would be put off from coming to the group if, if they had to pay a lot of money. Um, so they only pay $4 a session, and we say that's for materials, but it doesn't cover the cost of that, of course. And we sell cards, um, which are uh, made from their work when nobody else wants the pieces after exhibitions and after the families have been offered work and there's still a lot left. Then we use those to make cards, and we also sell work at exhibitions. So that's one way we help to raise money. But mostly we're dependent on a local government grant or from private donations. And um, over the years, we've managed to scrape through with just about enough money to keep running the sessions. Because, of course, that, you, you've got to think of things like hiring the room, there are materials, but also you're paying your tutor, and there are other sort of running costs to do with the exhibition program as well. If a person participates in a day in, with your program and yeah. begins a piece of artwork and time is up, uh, basically there's no more time to finish it, but they feel like they're not quite done. Can yeah. they return to the same uh, painting or picture or piece of artwork in the next session or do they need to finish it that session? Well, it's a very interesting question because very occasionally somebody will say, I'll go on with that next week, but they never do. And we therefore try to make sure that they continue with it at that session. So if they're near, you know, if they've been working on a piece um, for a while um, and hopefully, well, they'll get to the stage where it's, it's fairly near the end anyway by the time of the session. They'll just keep on painting through the discussion area until they finish. We never take a piece of wear away when they're not ready. Um, you know, quite often what happens is that people will work on seven, several pieces in the session. We've got somebody in our group, Philip, who's been, well, he's, he's had Parkinson's over 25 years and he's nearly 80 and he comes in a wheelchair um, he can't speak, he does sign language, but he's highly intelligent and no problems with dementia and he will often work on seven or eight pieces 
through a session. So obviously he's finishing his work pretty quickly, whereas my husband may not get going until half an hour before the end of the session, and he may be working through whilst we're doing the clearing up and so on. Um, but that's a good question. You, there isn't really um, a case I can think of where somebody has successfully picked it up the next week, and it's because there's an interruption in the middle and the momentum has gone. We'll be right back with Nancy Tingey after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery. I have an exciting heads up, something that I've actually never talked about and have not yet written about. We will begin very soon a Sunday Connections chat room, which will be offered each and every Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. These chat rooms, these Sunday Connection events, will be hosted by a different individual who, many of whom have been guests on my radio show, individuals who are coaches themselves for individuals who have Parkinson's and persons who in one way or another are providing support to individuals currently experiencing the neurological symptoms of Parkinson's. So look for the announcement. My concern has been now for several years that while we do offer this stunning Parkinson's Recovery Summit every year where you can get any and all of your questions answered because there are enough people there that are going to have the knowledge that's needed to answer any question you might have, that only happens once a year. It seems to me what helps recovery is to have ongoing support, to be able to connect with others that are confronting the same challenges as you so that you can get some ideas of what you can do to reverse your symptoms. So each and every week we're going to have somebody different to host a show so you can get some experience with getting to know different individuals and also you can be able to chat with other individuals who are connecting in at the very same time. We've sponsored a chat room now for a number of years. You could log in at any time. It'll always be free as well. The difficulty is sometimes when you connect in, there's only one other person there or perhaps no persons. That in itself can be truly frustrating. So we're addressing that particular challenge by creating this new support system called Sunday Connections chat room. And now back to my interview with Nancy Tingey. Is there still room in any of your groups for more participants or, or is it full? Well, for the first time really in a long time we are full um, but we haven't had any, we had four new people start at the beginning of this year which was huge for us and I wouldn't recommend that. I mean obviously you're going to start with a, with a basic group of new people but if we can have one person coming into time, that means that we can be giving special attention to them for the first few sessions until they get used to what we're doing. But um, uh, um, we've had a few inquiries too from people with Alzheimer's and other you know, related disorders. And I've always said, well, we know about Parkinson's, but we don't know about other disorders. And I think it's too much for the staff to, you know, to try and think of, of working with other groups. But no, we've never turned anybody away. Um, we've got a group coming from another area about an hour and a half's drive from Canberra, a new Parkinson's group there. They're going to come and have a look at what we do, um, I think at the end of next week, um, with the idea that you know, if they think it's possible, then they will go back and start their own group. And of course, I'm very interested in helping other groups get going. I've done quite a bit of that over the years, um, especially in England. 
um, even if it's just a question of being, you know, there to say, well, this is what you need. And, and of course, there's plenty written about it too. And we have a website. Do you have the information about that website? Probably over there. It'll be on the show page. That'd be great because that that gives people a lot of, you know, information about how to get um, a group going. So, in answer to your question, no, I don't like to turn anybody away ever, <laughs> however full we are. <laughs> There are people who would be interested in learning more about how they can set up their own groups, whether they're in Canada or the United States or Europe or, or Australia. Nancy, you're clearly the leader in terms of doing art for individuals currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's. Can they obtain help from you, and if so, how? Well, um, one of the ways is to get me on Google Mail. Um, and that Google Mail address actually is also on our website. So if I give the website address first, that's www.parkinsonsart, all one word, no apostrophe, dot org. Parkinsonsart.org. And, and my email address is on that, which is Nancy Tingey, N-A-N-C-Y-T-I-N-G-E-Y, at googlemail.com. Um, I've had quite a few inquiries from Americans recently, which is interesting. I think there's a resurgence of interest in arts and health, certainly is in this country. Um, and so I can sometimes put them in touch with other people over there. And we recently had somebody from New York um, start wanting to start up an art group to help her sister who has Parkinson's in New York. And she came and observed a class over here. Um, but there is quite a lot of material out there, but certainly our website is very comprehensive. Given your extensive experience watching many different individuals do art who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's, why is it that this is so therapeutic? We think it's something to do with the way that the brain is when you've got Parkinson's. Um, we wondered if it was to do with the medication because we know that, for instance, dopamine is, your, you know, that your happiness. If you're on good medication, maybe there are times when you can be more creative than others. Um, there's some very interesting research done by Professor Larker in Holland on this. He looked at artists before they had Parkinson's, or at least looked at what they said they were like before they had Parkinson's and looked at their work. And then he looked at their work after they had Parkinson's and he had expected as a neurologist that their output would decline after they got Parkinson's but in fact he found that it didn't decline and in fact with some artists the creativity improved after they had Parkinson's which seems to be very extraordinary. Um, is it to do with the fact that when you're doing a meditative process the connections between the nerve endings um, are smoother than when you are rushing around doing, trying to do your day-to-day -day stuff. Um, certainly something seems to happen um, when they're doing some kind of creative activity which makes them feel better at the end of it. I suppose that's just part of the human condition anyway, isn't it? If you can start to see that you are making something and that thing that you are making is making you feel that um, freedom that you can't get in other ways, you don't feel so trapped, you're up to, able to express yourself, maybe that's one of the reasons why it works so well. I'm sure that's part of it. But mostly people say that the reasons are social. They, you know, they've got this relaxed atmosphere and they're in a sheltered workshop where people understand 
how things are and they don't have to keep explaining and they don't have to worry about on-off symptoms and all those things. Um, but that sense of well-being is, is part of that, yeah, it's part of that creative process. I experience that in my own work, artwork. So we're all creative and some are more creative than others, but if we can stimulate that creativity, we just feel better for it. What words of advice would you want to give to individuals who currently live with those who have the symptoms of Parkinson's? Well, this is one of my passions, really. I mean, I think one of the problems, and we so often see it here, is that people get hooked on this thing about medication and they get you know, worried about when, the, when you're going to get the cure. And my reply to that is, what are you going to do whilst you're waiting for the cure? You know, how are you going to get through the day? And to me, the, the best help that any carer can give is to make sure that the person with Parkinson's has lots of things to do and be interested in because they just thrive and flourish on loads of exercise, loads of interesting things, people talking to them, people taking them out to places. And even with the painting group, if we change the materials or the way they're working, that stimulates more exciting work. So going home and hiding away from society is not the answer. If the carers can get them out there and get them involved in things, that's great. We, we, you know, I take, my husband has to, is in care now because he's had six hip replacements and five dislocations as well as Parkinson's, and I can't look after him. I've had various <laughs> medical problems too. But in care, we take him, from care, we take him to the Australian Institute of Sport for a special exercise class each week. He goes to painting with Parkinson's on Friday. He's somebody to read to him Saturday. Sunday, he gets taken out. He gets taken to geological society meetings with his friends. You know, the more that, more that he gets stimulated, I think, you know, the more he thrives. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. For those of you who have signed up and are planning on attending the Parkinson's Recovery Summit in Cincinnati, June 22nd and 23rd, a heads up there, we will be having a reception on Thursday evening. That is the evening before the summit actually starts from 7.30 in the evening until 9. Of course, at the Summit Hotel, the Garfield Suites. That's also an opportunity to get uh, early registration finalized. If you can make it, please do attend. It'll be an opportunity to meet the workshop presenters as well as all of the other many people who will be attending this summit. If you'd like to get notices about the radio shows as well as the writing that I have been doing about my discoveries on what helps people who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's, be sure to sign up for the free newsletter. All you have to do is to go to the main website, which is www.parkinsonsrecovery.com. You'll see a place there where you can add your email address. And now back to Nancy Tingey. Nancy, some people may still be hesitant, although it's clear the results from participating in this kind of art activity, if a person has Parkinson's, can be astonishing and remarkable. It's possible, I think, that some listeners are going to think, I don't know whether this is for me or not. Talk to the skeptics. Convince them that, in fact, this might be something that could change their lives. Oh, gosh, that's a big one, isn't it? Um well, I guess I can. All I have to do is, to, you know, what I have to do is to reiterate what I found with my husband that he had no interest in doing any kind of artwork before, but he found that this was something that he found totally fascinating and that, um, you, you know, was a can-do activity. Um, and I guess 
if people just sort of sat down and started doodling a bit and playing around with with a felt pen, for instance, and, and started to realize that, you know, once they made a mark, that, that they could make another mark. I think probably they need a bit of encouragement from a carer. It's quite hard for somebody with Parkinson's to initiate on their own, initiate that activity on their own. Um, but I know that's what was that used to be done with with a group called Conquest in the south of England. Ursula Hume used to, if somebody was interested in starting, you know, in going into the group or just finding out what it was about, she would just give them a writing pad and a felt pen and say, well, you know, just just play around with this with your eyes closed or draw with your left hand. And then and then when they when they'd done that for a little while, just have a look at that and think, well, you know, can I turn that into a figure or or an animal or a landscape? And start to see that it's not about copying something, it's not about being terribly clever, and it's not about being impressing other people. It's about you and it's about the process of you being able to communicate through your artwork, even if it's just communicating back to yourself. And making you you know enjoying exploring a new activity, um, but it would certainly be easier for people if there are one or two of them that could get together and get this activity going, even if it was just in their own homes, just playing around with things and feeling, you know, let's see where this will take us. You select some of the pieces for display. Where is the work displayed in Sydney, Australia? Well, I'm ring although I gave you the Sydney um, time of day. Actually, I'm living in Canberra. So this is, um, and we've, well, I've taken things to conferences. We've had exhibitions in New Zealand, in uh, Perth, and we had an exhibition in London too, which was a combination of the work that I'd done with the Parkinson's Disease Society of the UK in their pilot trials and setting up two groups in England, um, but also work that I'd taken over from Australia. Um, so we've had, that was in 2003, um, we're about to have an exhibition in Canberra at a new arts centre called the Belconnen Arts Centre, and that is on a programme which is really exciting that we're doing at the moment called Colour and Sound. And this is a project that we've set up with the School of Music, where we have live musicians, or rather musicians playing live music um, every week during the session. Um, we've had a trio, we're going to have a harp, we've had keyboard, and we've had a guitar twice. And these are top musicians, head of the um, music department at the Canberra Uni, um, David Pereira, who's very well known internationally, and they love playing in this situation because their music is inspiring more creative activity. And so they, will, they play their music and our group paints listening to the music. And the, the work is often inspired by the sounds that are made, or it may just be the trigger for them getting started with something else. It doesn't really matter. Um, but that collaboration is being filmed and photographed, and we're putting an exhibition together, which, as I said, will be shown in Canberra. I think it's going to be in September. And then it, next year it will tour to regional galleries in Australia, and we're hoping that at last we will really get the message out there because it's been slow to catch in and up in other parts of Australia. There are some marvellous groups with Anne Atkin that you've already explored in Victoria, I think she's got eight groups going now, um, and there, there is another group going in Perth. There have been attempts to, uh, that I know of in Adelaide, um, but we're hoping that this will inspire people to think, oh yes, this is for me, and I, you know, I'll have a go. What website, once again, can people visit it in order to learn more about the incredible work that you're doing? 
Um, the website again is www.parkinsonsart, all one word, dot org. And there is also a film on YouTube, which is a teaching film, um, which we started in 1998. And we actually, because of funding problems and because I was overseas, we only just finished a couple of years ago. That's called Making a Mark, Art as a Therapy for Parkinson's. And that film is based on the work that we do with painting with Parkinson's in Canberra, but it helps to explain how to set up an art group and what the results are. And we have a number of the members of the group talking about their experiences and what they get out of it. Um, so that's really quite a helpful film, I think, if people are thinking of finding out more about what we do. For those of you who are listening to this show through the Parkinson's Recovery radio show page, there's a link both to the website and to the video on the show page. And Nancy, how can people get in touch with you through an email? Nancy Tingi, or one word, that's N-A-N-C-Y-T-I-N-G-E-Y at Google, sorry, at googlemail.com. Nancy Tingi, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to tell us all about the incredible and an inventive work that you're doing with art for individuals who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's. Thank you very much, Robert, and thank you for your very good questions. Thank you. I'm Robert Rogers, and of course, this is the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Network. People have asked me, what's the rationale behind supporting the Parkinson's Recovery Summit? Parkinson's Recovery is the sole sponsor. There is no other sponsor for the summit. So what is it really all about? I've been doing research on the factors that contribute to the symptoms of Parkinson's now for six years. And when I started, I had the idea that I'd be able to perhaps identify through my research several options that many people weren't aware of that could be considered for helping reverse symptoms. As it turns out, I've identified option after option after option. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of options that come in all kinds of different forms. This is really my full-time job, and so for me, it's overwhelming. I know it's overwhelming for many of you. It's one thing to hear about some of these options, but it's another to actually experience it. So I came to the conclusion that what will help people the most is to convene together the movers and shakers out there who are figuring out some therapies, some approaches, some ideas, some techniques that can help people reverse symptoms Get everybody in the same place at the same time so that you can actually experience some of these opportunities, some of these options. So that's what's going to happen. The people on my show that are, are going to be offering workshops will have experiential opportunities for you to experience much of what's been talked on the radio show. I think it's a lot different to experience these kinds of options than just listening to a discussion and explanation of what they're really all about. And, of course, you get to meet face-to-face -face with individuals who have been successful in reversing their own symptoms and talk with them more about specifically what it was that they did that made the biggest difference of all. The Parkinson's Recovery Summit, then, just to clarify, is not about proposing or promoting any particular approach 
for recovery. That's not what we're all about. It's not about proposing a specific program or a protocol or any approach in particular. We're a research organization, and we are the people who are identifying any and all options that are helping people recover and convening them together at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit. So that's the idea. You get to go to one place, and you get to actually experience all of these opportunities for what can help you actually get relief from your symptoms. And I want to clarify, as I've done before, the summit is just as much for individuals who are family members as they are for persons who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's. You'll find the content in the presentations is just applicable to everyone as it is to a person currently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I look forward to meeting you in Cincinnati on June 21st at our reception, which starts at 7.30 in the evening. Of course, if you can't make the reception, that's fine. We'll start with the real business on the next morning, Friday, June 22nd, at the Garfield Suites Hotel with an explanation by each of the presenters of exactly what they'll be doing, and then the workshops kick off at 10 o'clock in the morning. 18 total workshops, and in the evening, we'll be having some experiential healing opportunities to release trauma, and also to manifest whatever your heart happens to desire. I look forward, once again, to seeing you and connecting with you at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit in Cincinnati on June the 21st, if not at the reception, June the 22nd. For information, you can always call our toll-free number, which is 877-526-4646. You can always email me at robert, R-O-B-E-R-T, at parkinsonsrecovery.com. Or, of course, you can visit the Summit website where you can register directly, and that website is summit, S-U-M-M-I-T, dot parkinsonsrecovery.com that's dot p-a-r-k-i-n-s-o-n-s R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y. It really is the event of the year for Parkinson's if not the event of the decade since the options that are making a difference are going to be represented. People are coming from across the United States, Canada, Europe, and Mexico. People who have uh, figured out what it takes to be able to reverse symptoms. So if you're serious about reversing symptoms, I'm here to tell you Cincinnati, Ohio is the place for you to be. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you are indeed on the road to recovery. We look forward to connecting with you next Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern. Good day.